You are listening to Your First 100K, the number one podcast for Christian entrepreneurs, coaches, and business owners who want time freedom and financial freedom so that they can provide for their families, travel the world, and give back to the less fortunate. If that's you, then sit back and stay tuned in because you're in the right place. I'm your host, Joseph Warren. I started my first multi-million dollar business at age 19 and wasted away my 20s trying to find happiness through money, success, and pleasure. I made millions, but I still didn't feel happy or fulfilled until I learned the real secrets of success. So the big question is this, how can Christian entrepreneurs like us who didn't give up on our dreams build a highly profitable six to seven figure business without being unethical, doing it all ourselves and neglecting our family and our faith? Well, that is the question. And this podcast will give you the solutions and strategies you've been looking for. Thanks for spending time with me today. If you're new here, then welcome. I have a free 10-day training waiting for you over at first100k.com. Again, go to first100k.com to grab your free 10-day training. Today, my featured guest is Chris Neeland. He is the founder and CEO of Cult. Now, Chris is one of the veteran marketers out there. He is the senior advisor to chief marketing officers at Zappos, Harley-Davidson, Best Buy, GoDaddy, and dozens of other recognized brands. Before founding Colt, he was the marketing leader at John Deere and the Home Depot. So I brought Chris on today for you, Startup Nation, not only to share his entrepreneurial journey uh, early on and all the things he wrestled with and challenges he faced that you're going through right now, and he's just a few exits past you, so if he can do it, you can do it. Also, though, um, I want to speak to you today with Chris and bring his expertise into this conversation about what does it actually look like for you to create such a compelling vision and story around your personal brand or your company brand that it becomes so compelling that it becomes contagious, it becomes sticky, it becomes shareable. And how do you share that uh, and infect your own team that you work with day to day so that they become advocates for your brand? How do you infect uh, your customers so that they become your sales force? How do you infect uh, your vendors if you have vendors so again they are becoming your referral partners so that's what we're going to get into today uh chris i probably shouldn't use the word infect during a pandemic but you know it's all how you use it right it works so chris welcome to your first 100k top 100 podcast in entrepreneurship take a quick minute and um just fill in some of the gaps in that intro would you well, listen, I, I, I'm glad that you're recording that because that sounded really, really great. And, and everything that you said, I believe, is the core job description of the marketing department and or the brand leader if you're a small company and don't yet have a marketing department. And unfortunately, I just don't think many people are having that conversation. This mm-hmm. idea of infecting someone or endearing yourself to someone so much that they become an advocate 
uh, for your business is the exception, uh, not the rule. One of, one of our pithy little one-liners is stop creating ads and start creating advocates because it is a different mindset and it's a different playbook. And unfortunately, I think people are frankly a bit lazy when it comes to their marketing. I, I call most marketers mark downers. They just think that their job is to build something and then maybe put an ad out, a radio commercial, mail some coupons, put some flyers on windshields, whatever it might be, and that people are going to come. And uh, uh, that, uh, that's sort of what I've devoted my entrepreneurial journey to 10 years ago was to blow that paradigm up and help people understand there is uh, a better way and there's a more elevated place that your business can can achieve. Okay, excellent. So now that we set the uh, foundation for our conversation, take a minute and share something personal about you uh, that very few people in your business life actually know. Hmm. Um, you know, I think that uh, no matter what I've tried to accomplish professionally or whatever accolades uh, I've received, it sort of pales in comparison to uh, what I consider my greatest job description, which is to be a husband. I've been uh, married 25 years this year. I was joking with you before about being on your other podcast. I'm sure I've got some uh, fine tuning to do, but uh, I really do uh, have the most pride of ownership that I have a great relationship with my wife who's been with me and has really enabled this entire crazy entrepreneurial journey from the start. Uh, and then we have three kids and, um, you know, them, them calling me dad and having a relationship uh, is far outweighs any sort of uh, uh, professional uh, success. And so I, I would hope that the listeners would think of me as a family man first and a successful entrepreneur second. Thank you for that. For all you husbands out there and fathers out there, remember your number one title in this world is not CEO and founder. It's husband and father. Work on that, become great at that, and it will pour into your business and attract the money, attract the clients that you're going for. Would you agree with that, Chris? 100%, well said. Well said, sir. All right, Chris, let's get into your entrepreneurial story. Let's talk all things business and money because it's just sexy. <laughs> All right. Uh, take us back in time when you started Cult, right? I want to get into that because you've landed some big clients you've worked with. Uh, was it that way in the beginning? Did you have the pedigree, um, you know, leaving John Deere and, and some of the other companies? Did that open up doors immediately for you or did you have to work for it like the rest of us and do some cold calling or something sort of like that? Take us back in time and just uh, walk us through the story of year one, two and three. You know, I think um, I think my pedigree was very helpful for my ego. I think I. I I believed that I was good enough to play in those arenas, uh, but it was really disappointing in terms of my lead generation or my business development uh, that my, my network didn't like come to the rescue and, and launch my business into the stratosphere the way that I was maybe hoping uh, that they would. Um, you know, starting Cult is, was my very first legitimate entrepreneurial pursuit. I was uh, a more traditional employee for the first half of my career, I actually didn't grow up around many entrepreneurs. I was actually fairly naive and unfamiliar, even with just the differences between being an entrepreneur versus being an employee. Um, 
I sort of had entrepreneurship with training wheels as a middle ground where I took over a very entrepreneurial business. So I had a chance to sort of be the boss. I kind of think of it as an entrepreneur with a, with a safety net because I kind of inherited some clients, inherited a team. But when all that went away, Colt was really uh, a chance to build something from scratch. And I'll, I'll tell you just a couple of things that I can look back on with a lot of pride. The first was I built a business of what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I did not build a business. In fact, we deliberately turned our back towards what would have been a more lucrative path. Being a more traditional ad agency, which is where we had come, was easier. Every business in the world needs some form of advertising, be it a website, a sign, a mailer, you know, and so you can kind of work with anybody. And when we built Cult, there was about 500 businesses on the planet that we thought were worthy of cult-like adoration. And so we went from millions to 500, which was uh, quite terrifying in terms of just limiting our target audience. I also would, you know, I think one of the lessons there is don't limit, it wasn't 50, you know, don't, don't create something so niche that your audience is too small, but 500, you know, I needed to get about 1% of them. If I had five big clients, we'd be off to the races. And so that was a good, uh, good math for us. Um, the other thing that we did, and I don't know if you subscribe to the secret or karma or putting stuff out into the universe, but we had many brainstorming sessions where we built the business after we decided what we wanted to do with our lives and our careers, we built it that who would this attract? And we used Harley Davidson as our muse. Like what kind of marketing are they doing? What kind of people would they associate with? What kind of brand have they created? And we kind of thought that would be, you know, our holy grails if, if a Harley Davidson would ever want to hire us. And uh, I kid you not, within about three weeks, of our press release that this new species of agency had been birthed called Colt, and we were an engagement firm. We weren't an ad agency. Um, Harley Davidson called us and they said, uh, we're actually in the market for an agency and we'd like to talk with you guys. And it was, you know, like that, that's, that's more luck than anything else. I mean, I think we did a few things right, including our name. I mean, something as provocative as Colt, there's a lot of businesses that that would scare off, right? I had employees who said, I can't tell my mom that I'm working for a cult. And that, we were like, it, it, it's, a, it's provocative for a reason. It's not provocative just to be for provocative, but we're trying to create a cult-like following. And anybody can get customers. Actually, I don't think getting customers is all that hard. Getting a cult-like follower is, is, is a, a much more noble pursuit. So Harley Th Davidson was our first hundred thousand dollars, and um, some of the things that we did to win that business uh, required some of the most uh, courage uh, I've displayed in my life. Got it. All right, so I want to dig into that right there. Startup Nation, let's really identify and excavate uh, what Chris and his team at Cult did right out the gate. Uh, so first, they set a vision of their dream company that they wanted to build. Second, they chose a market and an offering that was very niche. It wasn't the same as all the rest out there, which also scared them. But it also meant that they would need less large clients um, than to go after everybody in that marketplace, right? So they would need a smaller market share in that niche. And then the next thing they did right was that they picked their dream client, their dream avatar. 
or he called it their muse, Harley Davidson. Hey, what if we could attract a Harley Davidson? What are they looking for? What are their pain points? What is their vision for their company? What are they currently doing and, and spending their money on as far as their advertisement and their engagement? What are they missing right now that we could uh, help them accelerate where they're going? And by doing this, they, out of luck, law of attraction, whatever you want to call it, they attracted their dream client right out the gate. So I want to unpack that just a little bit, Chris, because you said, hey, we put out a press release out there and maybe it was just our sticky name and we and we got a call. You got a call from Harley Davidson. I suspect there was something more uh, to attract Harley Davidson. Was there uh, phone calls, letters, emails, uh, coffees, dinners uh, to open up that relationship? Or was it just a complete fluke? You sent out a press release and your dream client said, hey, that's me. Yeah, I think uh, kind of the answer is yes and. I mean, the fact that they called us was a, was a factor of being properly positioned uh, the press release going out to, in the right channels to the right recipients and timing. I mean, Harley Davidson was in the market looking for it. We didn't know that. So that's where I, it was truly luck where it got terrifying and required a lot of work was one of the things that we decided that we would do in, in terms of not being an ad agency is most ad agencies are procured through a process called an RFP. And it's terrible. It, it's clients. Uh, it, it, I think of it like an episode of The Bachelor where the client has 12 roses and all of these agencies are lining up in their prettiest dresses, begging to get a rose. And there's no, the power dynamics are all wonky. The, it's, the, a lot of unethical behavior happens because these clients ask for a lot of free work and people are you know, spending hours and hours, sometimes hundreds of hours, uh, just pining for this work. So we had said that Colt's not going to do that. And when the first time Harley called, they said, we're doing an agency review. Would you be willing to, can we send you the RFP? And you got, got to remember, we had no revenue and we, we had our dream client on the line. They, if there was ever an opportunity to break your own rule, it was now, but we stayed true to it. And we said, and with, you know, with all due respect, that's how you hire an ad agency. And we're not an ad agency uh, and uh, we don't respond to RFPs. The second thing they said was, okay, well, would you at least come out here to Toronto and uh, meet with us? And we had learned that uh, there's a great quote that said, poorly positioned firms can't get a customer to cross the street to check them out or poorly positioned businesses, but properly positioned businesses will get people to fly across the country. And we use things like the Mayo Clinic as an example, like you know, being an, an ordinary walk-in versus the Mayo Clinic has a waiting list of people that are flying from around the world to get their kids or loved ones into the Mayo Clinic. So second time, second strike against us, we said, unfortunately, Harley, we don't fly out to our clients without being compensated. Uh, if you'd like to meet with us, you'll have to come to us. And you know, now Harley might be wondering, now, now are we you know, toying with, you know, playing hard to get these laws of, uh, you know, what used to work in high school and when the girl that I liked, you know, would never give me the time of day. But uh, I was so, I mean, it was really my business partner had that kind of courage. I was willing to compromise and say, well, we won't do the RFP, but we'll at least fly to Toronto. And he said, no. 
And then I'll be damned if, not, if the third time they said, okay, listen, Colt, we're actually have a layover in Calgary on our way to Vancouver. Will you at least meet us at the airport so we can have a meeting at a you know, little conference? And we said, yes, <laughs> I'll, I'll meet you in the Calgary airport and we'll have the meeting. But there's something about either that confidence or there was something about that, uh, that desirability that, that I think in, that was secret sauce that made us more irresistible to me. Mm. Startup Nation, what's the lesson you just picked up from Chris? Maybe I can help. Communicating with certainty in what you will do and what you will not do, what you will tolerate, what you will not tolerate, is attractive to the world. It's so attractive, not to everybody. But to the people that are meant to work with you, you stand out immediately across all the noise, all the competitors, right, the same way Chris and his team did right there. No one would say that or probably ever said that to Harley Davidson. No, we're not going to do your process. With all respect, here's ours. Here's what we're not willing to do. Here's what we can do. And then saying no twice with certainty not budging, not negotiating, and then finally saying yes and accommodating just a little bit as long as it didn't go against Colt's values and what they stood for. Then it was a yes. See, this is important, whether it's in relationships in your home life, in your family life, or relationships in business. What do you stand for? What do you tolerate? What will you not? And many of us don't have a not. We don't have a no button. We're so scared. We're so, we show up so desperate like the rest of everybody. And immediately we just disappear into ordinary land. So if you want to stand out and really attract um, advocates, you have to first be an advocate for yourself and for your own business, which is, hey, here's what I can do. Here's what I will not do. And that is darn sexy. Chris, what would you add or take away from that? Well, you used the word desperate. And there was a great quote that governed our thinking early on, which is there's nothing more attractive than expertise. And there's nothing more repulsive than desperation. And you can gauge that in the early days of a relationship with a client, even if you are desperate, right? If you haven't made your first hundred grand, you are desperate, but you can never project that. And that's that idea of fake it till you make it. You have to feel like and project the idea that you're the prize to be won, that you have options, and that they're going to be lucky to work with you, not the other way around. Without, And it's a fine line. And I've crossed right. that line before. You can sometimes be pompous. You can sometimes be a prick. You can sometimes come across as an egomaniac, right? So you've got to do it with kindness and with grace, but you've got to be able to stand firm on uh, what you will and you know, what you do and don't stand for. I love it. So just a little takeaway there, Startup Nation, is you, your company, should never be desperate, even when you're in a desperate situation. See, there's a distinction there. You could be in a desperate situation that doesn't make you desperate. Show up with confidence and certainty. Tell people what you deserve, what you want, not out of arrogance, but just out of workability. This is what works for me. This is what doesn't work for me. If you're the right fit, then that works for you. If you're not, no big deal. Move on. All right, Chris, let's get into your top three tips and strategies for Startup Nation. They have their pen and their paper out. They're about to write. 
<laughs> the wisdom. All right, now listen, just for a little, uh, you know, cred here, uh, Cult is doing over eight figures, right? So you're doing 10 million plus right now. Um, and I just want to put that out there because like you said, <laughs> uh, expertise, credibility is attractive. And we want to know, does this work? So Startup Nation, uh, Chris is about to give you his top three tips and strategies for you uh, to accelerate past the 100K mark like he already has and far beyond. Uh, so Chris, what do you got? What's your best things uh, that Startup Nation can apply into their business today, this week, this month? You know, the first one that came to mind, Joseph, was uh, uh, from Elon Musk, not a bad entrepreneur to uh, borrow liberally from. But he was talking one time, I think it was on Joe Rogan or something like this, and he said one of the problems with entrepreneurship is it's been so glamorized that we have too many people that are creating solutions that are only 20% better than what already exists. And in a world, particularly in first world countries like Canada and America, we have too much choice already. So he talked about the test. The Tesla was not 20% better than the Prius. Tesla was 200% better than the Prius. So I would encourage the first point is if you are an entrepreneur, make sure that you're not marginally better than the alternative. You're going to have a hard, long road ahead of you, but bring radical innovation or transformation. And it could be product centric. It could be service centric. It could be uh, pricing centric. I'm a fan of like Bumble that just kind of went public on the IPO. What was radical was the power dynamic. The woman's in charge of reaching out, not the man. Same business model, same tech platform, but it was something that was dramatically different than the alternative. And, uh, and, that's, and to me, that is also marketing, finding something about what, where's the white space that the audiences need something that's not just going to be you know, uh, an, an 18th bottle of ranch dressing at the grocery store that has a little bit more peppercorn. The world doesn't need that. Right. So I think entrepreneurs need to should shoot and strive for more radical innovation. So, Chris, before you move on to your second uh, one here, I just got back from uh, California visiting one of my clients uh, doing life with them. Right. I always uh, want to go out of my way uh, when I have an excuse and I found an excuse, which was a really cool kingdom entrepreneur conference uh, right there. And one of my clients lived five minutes away and I said, hey, I'm coming out. I bought you a ticket. Are you free? Let's go. And uh, ended up spending uh, multiple days uh, just hanging out with that client, just tightening that relationship. Yeah. Uh, but we get in his Tesla. That's the point of this little mini story. And I was absolutely wowed and terrified simultaneously as we're on the interstate going around these hairpin turns in traffic and he takes his hand off the wheel. Yeah. And I was like, are you self-drive? Is this thing self-driving right now? And he goes, yeah, isn't that cool? And I was like, wow. That technology wowed me. It wasn't 20% better. It was 200% better. To the point where I'm now sharing it on my top 100 podcast. Okay. So this is what we're talking about, Startup Nation. That's what Chris is bringing up. Like, there should be a wow in the story that others tell about you and your service or your product or yourself. There should be a wow. If there's not, dig deeper. You have more to give. Chris, thank you for that. Second one is. Um maybe controversial, but from my life experience, I would say find a partner. 
don't go in alone. I think entrepreneurship is really, really hard. I think somebody needs to be uh, ebbing when you're flowing and vice versa. In, in my space, there's four distinct skill sets around business development, operations, client uh, management, and service delivery. That I just don't think one person can be equally competent at all four of those diverse skill sets. And so, um, you know, there, there are certainly horror stories of bad marriages, bad partners, but if you find a good partner, the journey will be so much more enjoyable and your odds of success, I believe, will skyrocket. Mm. I agree with that completely. I look back on the 12 businesses that I've had, uh, two successes, 10 failures. Do you know that the two successes I had, I had partners? The 10, I went solo, lone wolf. Hmm. hmm. I wonder if there's a pattern there. <laughs> okay, please move on. What's your third top tip and strategy for Startup Nation? Uh, you know, why don't we wrap up kind of where we started, which is a great quote that I was, was taught to me as a child uh, by a guy named David O. McKay that said, no amount of success will compensate for a failure in the home. And I have clung to that quote throughout the Gary V you know, uh, rise of hustle culture and hustle porn and working endless hours and, uh, and realizing that there's, that what's the point I, I've been tempted throughout my career. Well, the kids are young. Now's the time to be on the road, you know, five days a week or, well, now the kids are teenagers. Now this time they don't even need you, want you around anymore. And it's like, I'm really glad that I stayed grounded because now that my kids are out of the house, um, I realize what, what, two or four or five year period would I want to have missed? None of them. You know, I wanted to be there when they were in diapers. I wanted to be there when they were at soccer. I wanted to be there when they were in high school football. And so uh, my memories looking back, you know, that's the purpose of making a good living is to make a good life. And so why sacrifice your life for your living along the way? Brilliant. I have nothing to add to that. That was well said. Startup Nation, stop sacrificing the relationships that matter most and using the excuse that you're not there because you're working so hard for them. <laughs> they just want you there. They don't want your wallet. Like, sit with that, if that applies to you. Chris, let's go into my favorite part of the show. Welcome to the hustle round. <laughs> you just spoke about hustle. Uh, I'm gonna ask you 10 quick fire questions. You'll have about three seconds to answer each. It's just for fun, it's like a game show. Are you ready? I am. What's your favorite thing about being an entrepreneur? Uh, freedom. What's your least favorite thing? Uh, the, nobody to blame when it messes up. <laughs> yeah, you just got to take ownership. It was me. Yeah. Uh, I believe we're all struggling with something at any given moment of our life. It's just part of the human condition. What are you currently struggling with right now, either professionally or personally? You know, I want to be a better ally for all of the DE&I stuff that's become very topical in the past couple of years. Uh, I think that I was a bit naive uh, in terms of my approach to that. And so I, I need to be much more conscious and overt in my improvement in those areas. What are you most afraid of? Snakes. <laughs> what did you spend way too much time doing this past year? Um. Uh, maybe that's a good point. Maybe Netflix. I, 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 uh, I discovered some pretty fantastic, uh, mind numbing television and I probably should 
curate my my selection a little more. What secret? It started with the Tiger King. It started once once Tiger King hit, and like it just goes downhill from there. These Floridians, I'm telling you. (laughs) What secret fear do you have about people? Um, you know, I don't know that I have a fear, but I think for the most part, I give everybody the the benefit of the doubt, and I've been pleasantly surprised that most of the time that they've never taken advantage of that. Wow, awesome. What do you wish you had learned sooner in business? Hmm. Uh, you know, I think I wish I had learned entrepreneurship sooner. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I wasn't that exposed to that many entrepreneurs. I never really considered that a career path. I was 37 before I started my first entrepreneurial pursuit. And, uh, and, and looking back, like now you can't go back. I can't go back to being a normal employee. And maybe I should have done it sooner. Tasted the goodness. Yeah. What's a new habit you want to create? What's a bad habit you want to break? Uh, you know, the new habit, I actually have it here on my lap. I'm, I'm using a system called the Full Focus Planner. Uh, I, I thrive with ritual, um, but because I'm now working on my own for myself, it's easy to cut myself some slack. And so I want to be more uh, enslaved to my ritual because it creates productivity for me. Um, and what was the other one? What's the habit that I want to break? Correct. Uh, I, I eat an inappropriate amount of sugar, particularly M&Ms. And uh, that worked when I was in my 20s and 30s. And now I'm in my late 40s and I need to cut back on the sugar. You know, our body's voice gets louder as we age. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, body, the body's very clear what it will and will not tolerate <laughs> after age 40. Yes. Uh, pick three words to describe who you are now. Uh, husband, father, entrepreneur. In that order. That's the right order. Pick three words to describe who you were your first year in this business. Hmm. First year maybe is uh, uh, naive, eager, and um, uh, I use the word sometimes pirate or insurgent. I'm a contrarian to the status quo, and I've really enjoyed that. I like to zig while most people are zagging. And last question, Chris, if you could come back to life after you died, tell your family and friends, your wife, your kids, only one piece of advice about everything, what would you say to them? That's a deep, deep question. I have to answer that in three seconds. Uh, Stop you know, stalling. <laughs> um, if I came back and saw them again, I would say it's all about the people. Milestones are nice. Possessions are great. But people is what uh, brings the joy. Amen to that. Startup Nation, if you have rocks standing in the way of your people, your relationships, listen. Stop living with the rocks. Stop carrying them. If you have limiting beliefs and lies that are holding you back in your relationships and they feel heavy on you rather than light, and you feel like you're carrying these boulders on your back and just moving it from one side of your back to the other, and that's just the way life is, and you're meant to carry this load, that's not true. It's a lie. What I do is I help Christian husbands blow up those rocks, either on the, in their head or on their back, that are crushing them, so that they can have the life of peace and purpose that they desire. And typically, some of the big rocks we blow up are anger issues, Control issues, come on, all you little control freaks out there like me. 
right? And they hold you back from getting what you actually want because you're trying to control things outside of your control, which then causes all the frustration that builds into anger and rage. And then you blow up on the people you love. Stop. If you really want to stop talking about it, talking about your rocks, learning to cope with them and manage them and live with them, and you want to blow them up permanently so you never have to deal with them ever again. That's what I do. I sell peace and purpose. If you're interested, go to blowuprocks.com. Blowuprocks.com. Chris, how's that for a name? Is it good? Is it? It's, I love it. Cult-like? Yep, it works. It's cult-like. It's going to repel some people. I don't want to blow up anything. You, you might get an occasional excavation company or, or homeowner <laughs> looking to get rid of some. Listen, when I, when I went to buy the URL... I was like, there's no way blowuprocks.com is available. It's got to be something with excavation, you know, construction, demolition. And it was wide open. And I knew God wanted me to do this, lead men through this. Yeah, it was pretty cool. All right, Chris, um, thank you. Uh, But before we go, is there any final wisdom? What is the one thing you want my listener to know about crossing that 100K mark like this year? During a pandemic. You know, I think the pandemic has taught a lot of people about reprioritization. I myself, we moved from Canada back to the States, closer to family. Um, You know, we've heard about the great resignation. A lot of people are reimagining their commutes and their cities and their employers. I think it's very, very healthy. It's a shame that it took a pandemic to, to wake some, knock some sense into us about we only get, you know, one go at this ride. So we might as well make the most of it. And what I'm trying to do is to help businesses shift their thinking from profits to prosperity. You can't be prosperous if you don't have money and profit. So I'm not anti-revenue, anti-profits, but the goal is profits as a means to an end, not the goal itself. And so uh, I think that's when I look at the cult brands, the businesses that I think are just killing it, uh, they exist for something beyond just making money. And you see it in the happiness of their employees in the, the uh, inspiration of their leadership team and in the success uh, of their business. So you really can have it all, but it only starts by dreaming about something beyond just the first 100,000 K. But think about what that 100,000 K is going to allow you to do as you get your next 100,000 and then a million and then 10 million and then 100 million on up to success. Brilliant. Startup Nation, we've been hanging out with Chris Nealon, the founder and CEO of Cult. Uh, and Chris is one of the top veteran marketers in the world. You're welcome. I brought him on for you. <laughs> now go take action on his three steps, would you? Chris, where does Startup Nation go to find out more about you, get into what you got? Where do they go? What do you got for them? Uh, personally, probably the best thing to do would be follow me just on my LinkedIn, Chris Neeland, uh, or uh, professionally, if you think your business might benefit from some of these cult branding uh, secrets, uh, go to cultideas.com. Cultideas.com. See you there, Startup Nation. Chris, thank you for being on your first 100K. I wish you God's love, peace, and joy in your life, sir. Thank you. You too, Joseph. Have you tried absolutely everything and nothing has worked? Have you tried therapy? Have you tried coaching? Have you tried counseling, Christian counseling? Nothing's worked for you, for your spouse. You just want better communication. When you wake up, do you feel like you want to crawl under a rock in the morning time? 
Is your brain so scattered and foggy at this point that you're not following through with things? You're not keeping your word in the matter. You're letting people down, maybe your own spouse or kids. Do you have way too much on your plate and you're getting more and more frustrated, which is turning into anger? Are you battling addictions right now? Are you an amped up or frantic person with a lot of anxiety and you're off and on a bipolar and depression medicines? If any of these you connect with, then what I do is specifically this. I do not do therapy. I do not do counseling. Those are for people that want to talk about their problems or learn different ways to cope and manage their problems. I don't do that. Reach out to me if you want to get rid of your problems permanently, like be done with the addiction, be done with the medications, be done with the escaping your life because you just feel so powerless in it. If you want those results and you want peace, it's what we all want. We're all chasing it. We had it as kids. We lost it. Life beat the crap out of us. If you want peace, that's what I sell. It's God's peace. So you can find that at josephwarren.net. You can schedule a call with me, complimentary. I'll contribute 30 minutes of my time into your life. We'll get clear on what you actually want. Then we'll see if we're, we want to work together. And that's me interviewing you to see if you're ready. Are you ready to do what it takes? Some people try to come to me, but they're not ready to be coachable. They're not ready to get rid of the problems. Again, if you don't want to talk about your problems anymore and you've tried everything and nothing has worked and you want to permanently get rid of them, go to josephwarren.net and let's see if I'm your guy.